0: The scripture for the sermon today is found in Psalm 116, that's on page 510 of the Blue Pew Bibles. Um, if you're anything like me, you have, um, you've asked God why or how long or maybe even where are you. Uh, this psalm has an amazing truth from God himself that he hears us that he has drawn near to his people and he hears our cries. So listen to the very word of God. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord. I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, All mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people in the courts of the house of the Lord in the midst, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord.
1: Let's pray. Ask the Lord to bless His word and our time together. Father, thank You that You do hear our prayers and You answer. Help us to love You because of it. And we ask in Christ's name. Amen. I'm a a fan of um, the biggest catch, which I know is old news now because we've gone on to bigger and brighter things like Coast Guard Alaska, which I also love and secretly want to be those people. but I, I remember watching an a episode of The Biggest Catch a few years ago and there was a ship that had stalled in rough seas. And another vessel was close enough by to come by and lend aid. And I don't think it was produced because I don't think you fake throwing people into the Bering Sea in the middle of the winter. Um, but a guy goes overboard. He was climbing on the crab cages and you just kind of watch this human being go hurtling over the side of this ship into the cold Bering Sea. And you kind of, your breath goes, <clears throat> and you see the ship floating away in this head bobbing and you see the dude frantic. And this other vessel had come on site to help this stalled ship. And they were trailing enough behind and in honestly in God's kindness on a close enough angle to draw right up next to this guy and in about four minutes throw him a lifeline from the deck of this other vessel which he catches and puts around him and they haul him up. And as he comes up on board of this other vessel, as soon as he drops the life vest, you see him grab hold of the dude who hauled him up and squeeze the life out of him. And you can't hear the vocals, but what you can see him saying is, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like it's this moment of amazing appreciation. Which is easy to understand why. Why? And what you heard in Psalm 116 is a psalm of joy and appreciation from the heart of someone who has been delivered. And I think it's interesting that the last few weeks we have heard this kind of dear series on the Psalms of Lament that Darwin and Brian have kind of with some real good wisdom and pastoral care prepared our hearts for the coming, right? prepared us in the Advent, hoping for the coming of Jesus with psalms of lament, that the people of God really face sorrow and sadness and have the right and the freedom to breathe that out. And Psalm 16 is a psalm that speaks from the other side of lament. That part of the experience of the people of God is at times it's lament, but at times... We are the people who have seen God answer our prayers and deliver us. And the experience on the other side of lament is joy, and appreciation, and rejoicing. That's what this psalm is. In this psalm, actually, people say that they think this is a this is a spontaneous psalm written from the heart of somebody who has really experienced this and. There's enough personal stuff there for you and I to think, this guy isn't just mouthing words. This really seems like he has been on the verge of imminent death. And he's been restored. But it's it's not just a personal psalm. There are elements of this psalm that kind of speak to the fact that this is also used in the worship of the life of the people of God in a corporate manner. It's a combination of these two things, which I think is good. And I love the fact that there's not a specific author that is shown in this psalm. This is this is the experience of the people of God, you and me. Now I think we see a few things out of the divisions of this psalm. We see a love to God because of prayer answered. We see a reflection on the abundance of God's goodness to us. And we see promises to serve and worship God. Let me put it another way. We see love spoken. We see kindness remembered. And we see worship given. I'll do it one more time. Say it differently. That when God delivers His people circumstantially out of hard places... It first brings us to a response of loving him. And secondly, when God delivers his people in very specific real ways, it brings us to reflection on his abundant kindness to us. And when God delivers his people in specific situations, it actually moves us to worship him. Before everybody kind of the three things I want us to see. First, look, God's mercy brings a response of love. If you look down at the first four verses, the psalmist who experienced this life-threatening situation is kind of remembering the anguish, right? In verses 2 and 3, he says, uh, or 3 and 4, he talks about being in the snares of death. And that they actually encompassed him. And that the pangs of Sheol laid hold of him. He's remembering this very real life anguish. And this is not, I think this is coming from the fact that this person was really near death. And the language of the snares of death encompassing me. And the pangs of Sheol kind of laying hold on you. That imagery is this idea, right? It brings out this idea of, it actually kind of, reaching from the grave to, to grasp hold of him and drag him down. Is that the, the anguish and the despair was so close, death was so close that it was, he felt it reaching out to drag him into death. And it even, you see that he says he suffered distress and anguish, that he had kind of lost hope. And he says, In my distress and in my anguish, then I called on the name of the Lord. And I said, O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And the Lord did it. The Lord answered His prayer. And His response to being delivered out of difficulty and near death is this. I love the Lord. Right when God answers the prayers of His people, the response of the people of God is love to God. Right when God answers and delivers, this is what we do. It emboldens us to love the Lord. I lived I lived out in the country as a kid. Uh, my dad was a dentist in Wilmington, and we lived the American dream. And he moved out to the country and bought five acres and. And at the end of our lane were uh, this couple called Sam and Vivian Reed. And they were there a long time before we got there. And they were old when we moved in as a little kid. And uh, Sam was a bulldozer operator. And Vivian taught school for a while but was retired by the time we moved in. And they were this sweet couple. But they were they were very real life. They had ups and downs. They had a kid in prison and out. They had hardship but they were faithful hardworking, sweet people and we just i love the reeds and i remember um one fall sam got sick and i think it was cancer i was young and we thought sam was going to die and uh vivian reed would come to the house and she just i love her she cooked all the time And so she would always bring stuff to the house. And I remember it was in between, actually it was in between Christmas and Thanksgiving and she's sitting on her couch and she had gotten the prognosis that Sam was actually going to get better. And I remember her sitting there with tears and I, I will not forget her words. She said, I love my God because He has kept my Sam. And I thought... I knew she loved Sam. I think she really loves God. This is not just religious service that she does. The Lord had been kind to her husband and her response was, I love my God because He has kept my husband. Which is the heart of the people of God when He is kind enough right, to answer our prayers. This wasn't sugary, sweet sentimentality because there wasn't a whole lot to be sentimental about in Sam and Vivian's life. But she loved her God because He had kept her man. one of the things I appreciate about this psalm is that what it does is, is that it makes it okay for you and I to pray for deliverance from hard circumstances, right? It is the freedom to say that in part we love God because He is kind to us circumstantially at times. In other words, we don't have to super-spiritualize our life to say that the only thing that matters is that we trust Him. Should we trust Him? Yes. But you know, kind of folks whose only way to get through hard things is to just tell you that you should trust God? Okay, we all know we should trust Him. And yes, we should. Absolutely, we should trust God. But what is so beautiful about the psalm is that it gives us the freedom to say that part of the reason we love Him is because He hears our specific prayers and at times delivers us. Right? We should trust Him. But I think we should have the freedom to be thankful that the Bible has examples of praying for deliverance from specific situations and we're thankful that God is not Gnostic. That He cares more about just our faith. He's actually concerned about our physical and our emotional circumstances in life. And He's pleased to condescend to us and answer and He knows that sometimes by His answering that makes us love Him well. It's fine to pray for healing of cancer. It's fine to pray for deliverance from death. It's it's good to pray for the end of pain. It's good to pray for healing for things that plague us. It's good to pray for emotional stability. It's good to pray out for the way out of depression. It's good to pray for relief from sadness and sorrow. They're biblical prayers. And at times, it's these very deliverances that God uses to strengthen our life. Can He use other things? Sure. Can He use suffering to draw us near to Him? Absolutely. Can He use hardship and sadness and loss and death and defeat to draw us close to Him? Absolutely. He does it all the time. But it is also a biblical truth that when He answers the prayers of His people and draws them away from the edge of despair and abyss and sorrow and sickness and death, that actually makes us love Him and that's good. And I would say that some of you know yourselves, as we draw to the end of 2013 and come to the beginning of 2014, that you can actually look back over the hardships this year where you have seen God answer your prayers and be merciful to you. And you can say with better assurance, because of His faithfulness and deliverance, that you love Him. God has answered your prayers and we celebrate that reality. Spurgeon said it this way, and I love it. He says, It is a blessed declaration to say that I love you, Lord. He says, Every believer ought to be able to declare without the slightest hesitation, I love the Lord. It was required under the law, but was never produced in the heart of man, except by the grace of God. It's a great thing to say, I love the Lord. For the sweetest of all graces, and the surest of all evidences of salvation, is love. And I love this. Because the the Lord of all heaven and earth has heard you and listened and answered. Our heart response is to say, man, I love you. Because you've inclined your ear to me and you've heard me. But it's not just... That God's deliverance leads us to love the Lord. It's actually the psalmist goes on to have this great reflection on his abundant kindness, right? God's mercy sends us to rest and reflect on his absolute kindness. Look down at five through 11. Because he begins to reflect on the gracious character of God. He says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous, and our God is merciful. And I love how he begins to say of himself, he calls himself the simple, right? The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest, and this is such a great phrase for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you've delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. It might seem like a repetition, but he goes from saying he loves the lord to reflecting on god's abundant kindness to him that god has not just delivered him from actual death but he's kept his eyes from tears and he's kept his feet from stumbling he's been abundantly kind and this is such a good phrase it's this command that is also a privilege right return o my soul to your rest That the real place he comes back to having reflected on the Lord's deliverance is to say that his rest is found in the love of God. And what he says is, God has dealt so bountifully with you. So kindly with you. He's drawn to reflect on the abundant ways God has been kind to him in his trouble. The way He has kept you from tears and the way He has kept you from stumbling. And guys, I know that you may be in the middle of the darkness at the moment. So I don't want to run roughshod over you if that's where you are. But the Psalms are the expression of the whole life of the heart of a believer. And at times, what His kindness does is it draws us to reflection and that our whole our souls really find rest when we begin to stop and take stock of how the lord has been kind abundantly to us think about the way he has protected you from your own foolish heart this year stop for a minute I think of the way, I've said this to you before, the sin of my daddy is that he was angry and I bear the marks of it. He's not at blame. My own sin has come forth from my own heart. But I think of the way that the Lord, even in this year, through the love of my wife and through my children, having approached me in the middle of my folly and foolishness, have actually helped the Lord speak grace into my life and make me be not as angry as I would be had I just let it go. Some of you sit here with cancer in remission and the Lord has been abundantly kind. We have people in our church who have gone through difficulty and by God's grace from a YouTube video have a child. Some of your children have professed faith this year. Some of you have seen your marriages restored from the brink of divorce and disaster Some of you have friends in school for the first time in years. Why? Because our God is abundantly kind and good. You have seen repentance flourish in your own heart. and not the least of which those of us who sit here this morning and claim Jesus as our Savior, on top of all the circumstantial abundant goodness and kindnesses the Lord has showed us, we have Christ Himself who is our life and our hope and our peace. And our privilege as the people of God is to return to this glorious good rest. Why? Because He has been so abundantly I think of my boss. My boss in the space of four days sent me two pictures from his phone. One is the picture of a person, a 23-year-old girl, who got behind the wheel after way too much alcohol, who drove 120 yards through a neighbor's yard over a retaining wall in between their house and his house, missed his daughter's bedroom wall by 18 inches and stuck her car into the tree in the backyard. And you think, okay, the providence of God in directing that traffic. And four days later, he sends me another picture of his parents' car wrapped around a telephone pole. Because a man who had come off working three shifts in a row, fell asleep at the wheel, crossed the center line, snapped a telephone pole in two. The car is totaled. From the picture, you look and think, I cannot believe that anybody walked away from that. Okay, this is not simply the twist of fate or destiny or... There are ways in which we see the Lord being abundantly kind. Does He always do this? We're coming. Wait. But the very hand of the providence of God who loves His people, who specifically loves His own in Christ, is everywhere written. It's got to be said, look, if you are here this morning, and you're not out of the woods circumstantial, and you are struggling to believe that I don't want you to feel false guilt. But the exercise of reflecting on the answered prayers of God in this way, reflecting on the catalog of God's abundant goodness to you and I, is one of the very things that helps us in our times of trouble and sadness, right? It is sometimes the antidote to unbelief for you and I to think back on the answered prayers. Okay, this is not the prescription of the text. I myself have thought it is amazing when you write down the prayers that you have actually asked God for, and look back over the way you have seen God be kind to answer the prayers of His people. It's good for the soul, right? When we're tempted to think that He does not care, doesn't listen, is not there, we review His abundant kindness. God's deliverance makes us love Him. We love Him for sending Christ But at times we have the freedom to love Him for just the simple deliverances and kindnesses in our life. And we get the privilege to reflect back on His goodness and rejoice. And like that dude pulled up over the side, appreciate the abundant mercy and goodness of God. Which is funny, because what it does is it leads the psalmist somewhere. Because in verse 12, he picks up this thread. He looks and says, In light of kind of God's deliverance, in light of His actually saving me from death, in light of me escaping the grave, in light of the Lord keeping my feet from stumbling and my eyes from tears, of His being abundantly kind to me and restoring rest, what should I give Him? That's such a fun phrase. What shall I render the Lord for all His benefits to me? Right? Which leads us to this third thing. God's mercy moves you and I to respond in worship and promise. What shall I render to the Lord for all His kindness? What a great statement. What should I give to God for all His abundant mercy? Now listen, this is not how do I pay God back, right? That's not the point. It's not what can I give God for the salvation of my soul? Nothing, right? It's not how can I earn the forgiveness of God? Nothing. How can I earn the favor of? Nothing. Right? This is not a question of salvation for you and I or works righteousness this is the, the, the normal way people respond when someone has been abundantly kind to them. How shall I, what shall I give in return? And the response of the psalmist is, what I will give is I will give my worship and my life. Right? The response of God's abundant kindness is that I'll, I'll worship, which is all the language of 13 through the end of the psalm. So it picks up this language of the cult of the worship at the temple, but also the language of worship of the home. Oftentimes in Jewish homes, there was this cup of salvation that they would pick up. And it was a remembrance of God's deliverance of the people from Egypt. But it's also this picture of, I will what? I'll lift up the cup of salvation. I'll call on the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. There's all this public worship idea I'll go to the temple with the people of God and I'll worship him and I'll thank him and I'll praise him and I'll lift up the cup of thanksgiving and I'll remember my salvation and I'll rejoice in front of all the people of God I'll sing the praises to Lord for all his goodness I'll reflect to all the watching world what the Lord has been like to me personally what shall I render to the Lord for all his kindness I'll come and worship. Which I love that fundamental to our experience is this cyclical weekly thing we do together. Why? Because you and I are living illustrations of a few things. One, we are living illustrations of the mortal reality of being human beings who are marred by sin and destined to return to dust. But we are also, and this is a big also, right? Right? We are visible recipients of the grace and mercy of God to one another. We are visible receivers of the love of a living God and Father through the life of the risen Jesus Christ. We are visible trophies of grace and recipients of forgiveness, of restorative kindness, of transforming mercy, of faith and repentance. Right? We are believers in the truth of a God who has invaded the world by His kindness to make it different. And we've been affected by that truth. And that effect can be seen by the community of people sitting to your right and left who both believe the reality of Jesus and who don't. And I I think it's interesting that the psalmist is even very realistic about where life will go. Because the Lord has delivered him from death this time. But he knows that that's not the final answer in some ways on death. He's rejoicing in the the abundant mercy of God. But you get down to 15 and it's this strange thing. He says, precious in the sight of the Lord is even the death of His saints. So that the Lord's abundant kindness is not somehow short-circuited even at the death of His people. He recognized that the Lord has delivered Him this time from death. But that death is probably coming for Him, right? I think it's... um, Even if eventually, circumstantially, He's been delivered at this moment. He knows... That even the death of the saints of God is precious to him. That he overwatches even that. So what? So what? I think the beauty of when he says, what shall I render for all this service is this good expression of, I'll give my worship, I'll give my life. But the so what is this. The effect of you being renewed in the goodness of God, it is not lost on the rest of us. Let me put it a different way. I need to see you here Sunday morning Lifting up the cup of salvation and rejoicing in the thanksgiving that you have for God's abundant kindness for you. When my own heart is tempted to doubt that God is good or that God is kind. When I am in the middle of my own dark place, when distress and anguish are the things that are really the voice of my soul and not the place of celebration. This is what I need. I need to stand next to you and watch you sing that you love the Lord because he has kept you and been kind to you and good to you because that helps me and that helps you. We need the people of God. To stand there and be the witnesses to the abundant kindness of Jesus to help jog our memory. To help us in our own walk in faith. Now, I'm going to land this plane quickly. But I, I'm searching through the numerous channels I don't need on cable television, right? And I come across this episode of The Family Guy. I'm not endorsing the show per se. I do think he's one of the better cultural critics that's out there. Because I think they're severely honest, even if wrong-headed in some ways. But as I was flipping across, I came across this scene at the end of the show where uh, they're all in church. And the minister stands up in his robotic fake voice and says, let's stand up and sing him number Four hundred and fifty-nine, and you already don't trust him. He's got that slick back do, and you're like, ah, this feels bad. And then the, the the scene is this narration, right, from this high vantage point panning out across the congregation, where they're all singing in kind of monotone univoice with no sense of feeling. and And these are the words that they sing. Okay. <laughs> I won't sing it to you in the tune, but it's stuck in my head. He says, if we praise Jesus by singing all together, it makes this exercise seem less bizarre than it really is when you actually stand back and examine it with some objectivity. Amen. Okay. The point of the scene is that the writer of The Family Guy is trying to say, look how silly this is. I mean, look how dumb this is. That you would actually get up and waste your Sunday morning and sing to somebody who isn't there. And what I love is, it captures the heart of unbelief so beautifully. Well, it's perfect. I couldn't have done it any better if I'd taken a thousand years to think how to do it. Because as you look across, you go, if there is no Advent, if Jesus has not actually come into the world, if God is not alive... If we stand back and look with some objectivity, this is pretty bizarre and senseless and stupid. But we are the people who serve a God who is living and not dead. We are the people who serve the God who has come in living form and given up His life and faced the pains of death itself, has not been delivered the first time around. And God, out of His kindness to deal with the reality of death, has sent Jesus and loosed His bonds of death and raised Him up so that we are the people who serve a living God. So that when we sing here in a moment, it must be well with me because God, it's not folly. It's not foolishness. We have celebrated the first coming of Christ into the world in our lives. We have seen His redemptive character and His kindness. And we await the second coming with the hope of those who serve a God who is not dead, who is there, who answers the prayers of His people, who draws near to us, who makes us see His abundant kindness, and who worships. And we will with even greater clarity announce one day that we love the Lord because we will find our final rest in Him. We will see with even more clarity that He has dealt bountifully with us. That is what we want your confession to be here this morning. I love the Lord. He has been kind. He will continue to be kind. And God's people say, Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, I think we hardly know how to catalog the ways in which you have been gracious. Help us, O Lord, with that gracious principle of working in our hearts the thing that only you can do. Help us to love you. Lord, for Your people who are in the middle of the darkness, we confess that You are the living God. So hear their prayers. We trust in Your wisdom. Deliver us. Keep our feet from stumbling. Keep our eyes from tears. Restore us to our rest in You we ask as your people who love you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.